Hello, mainstreamers and cinephiles and everybody in between. I'm Bryant. And I'm Caitlin. And Operation Silver Screen is a go. Welcome, everyone, to another weekly debrief. Each week, Bryant and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have yet to see. And our debrief will provide not only our opinion of the film, but will also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and society as a whole. Along the way, we'll also provide other fun trivia and insights on the film as well. So, Brian, what was our mission this week? I think our mission this week was Mission Impossible. I could be wrong because the last time we got together and record and I was told that we were doing Mission Impossible, I was told that (laughs) I stayed up till 4 a.m. the night prior, woke up four (laughs) hours later, did research to record, and was told that we weren't doing Mission Impossible. So, Caitlin, are we doing Mission Impossible today? Is that that, that's Uh, right, right? Actually, we're not. No, nope, no, nope, I don't care what you have. We're doing this. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll do it. Yeah. In anticipation of Dead Reckoning Part 1, again, this summer season, this is like the third Part 1. I think there was a Part 2 of something this year as well. Uh, it seems to be the new big thing. Remember when uh, all like the, the YA novels started doing Part 1 and Part 2, the final films? Yeah, both Harry Potter and The Hunger Games did it. And the Divergent series, which... I'm not sure it's on uh, Tubi or yeah. not. And I think Maze Runner had plans for it before Dylan O'Brien got hurt. But Dead Reckoning Part 1 is coming out. And if you've been following the show, you know that I'm a huge fan of the franchise. It's my favorite franchise. And this week, he'll be going against probably his biggest mission ever, which is can he find success in this 2022, I mean 2023 summer blockbuster season? Because this season has been as jam-packed as it is. And like all these big names, it's not, it has not been doing well. A lot of, a lot yeah. of studios have their heads down. Yeah. Flash, Indiana Jones. I think Mission Impossible got, I mean, not Mission Impossible, uh, Transformers got enough to where like, ah, we're cool. They're like, eh, we didn't yeah. have big expectations. I mean, Little Mermaid did well, right? Yeah, it did. It did pretty well. I don't think it did as big as the last ones. I don't think it, it definitely didn't do as big as Lion King or Aladdin. But I think mm-hmm. also like, I don't think The Little Mermaid is as big as Aladdin and Lion King to, to kind of begin with. Maybe. Which, yeah, which now that I think about it, they kind of just like threw all their best ones out at first. Yeah. I mean, Little Mermaid's pretty big. Like Little Mermaid, yeah. Beauty and the Beast are all same level. They're like the bigger Disney princess ones. Yeah, they're definitely the bigger Disney princess ones. But there is one, there is one winner right now. And that's old Miles Morales. He's just, he's just <laughs> swinging through money right now. But yeah, uh, so today we're doing Mission Impossible from 1996, adapted from the TV show, which was actually a pretty long-running TV show from 1966 into the 70s. And this film is going to be another one of those, like, is not a critically acclaimed film, It's, um, but, but it does have a significance within movie history. But first, Caitlin, this is a movie you have not seen, correct? No, I haven't. Never accepted that mission. How come? No, uh, I just didn't think it was something that was going to interest me. To be honest, so I think I was actually introduced to it because we played the theme in band. So I played like the snare drums when I was like in elementary school to this song, to this uh, the theme song. So that was fun. I actually really enjoyed that. But I kind of didn't know the difference between Mission Impossible and James Bond, to be honest. I kind of figured it was going to be similar to James Bond and James Bond, something that doesn't really interest me. So I just, I never watched it. 
Yeah, no, they're they're quite different, and I'll explain why later. But wait, did we go to the same elementary school? Because I remember that I wasn't in the band, but we did like an assembly, and the band played the Mission Impossible theme song. Uh, I went to like a private school. Oh god, dang you and your privileges. Yeah. No, my lowly <laughs> self went to a public school. Yeah, I'm surprised we played something so uh, secular. It was very religious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess there's some mission. Th- I don't know. Maybe that's like the true mission, the mission of God. Yeah, mm-hmm, the impossible mission. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say I was hyped by the trailer for the last movie. And I like got more of an interest. Was that Ghost Protocol? The last one or the last one to come out? The last one to come out. That's Fallout. Fallout. Okay, Fallout. Yeah, the trailer for Fallout, like, I was hyped for it, but I didn't go see it because I didn't know, like, if I had to see the previous ones. I would say you definitely have to see, well, not definitely, but I would say it helps if you see Rogue Nation. I'm going to watch Ghost Protocol soon. I'm hoping to get some time this weekend to watch Ghost Protocol or sometime before the movie comes out. Uh, I don't remember too much from that, but I remember really enjoying it. Rogue Nation is the one that uh, is still my favorite. It's my favorite out of all of them. The Fallout's really close. But Rogue Nation was the one that made me love this franchise. And that's when I went back and I uh, watched the first Mission Impossible. And, you know, um, soon after Fallout came came out years later. I think it was like when I rewatched Rogue Nation. Like, I, I liked it even more. And then I watched Mission Impossible 3, I think last year or this year. I still haven't watched number two because number two is supposed to be like one of the worst action movies out there. Though I'm not Ooh. sure if that's still true. It's also the first PG-13 film I watched. The or that second I, one? Like I remember watching. Okay. Yeah. It was like the one my parents were like, you know, yeah, go ahead. And honestly, I guess that, that honestly that wasn't a big deal because I remember nothing. I think mine was the first X-Men movie. Oh, okay. A little bit later. 2000 or 2002? Uh, I'm not sure. But no, I definitely recommend this franchise. I know you like action movies too. Like usually our action movies, we kind of we agree on a little bit. I think I like them a little Except bit for more. Predator. Yeah, well, Predator. I, I like John Wick 3 more than you. I didn't dislike John Wick 3. You didn't like Raid 2 as much as I did. No, I did not like Raid 2. You didn't like Raid 2 at all? Uh, I had a lot of issues with it. Oh, I love Raid 2. Raid 1 was so much better. Miles, miles better. Mm, 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 mm. They're Cause close. it's simple because it's simple so the raid one was very like simple storytelling good action it, it did what it wanted to do and i respected it for it it was the same with john wick one but then you get into these sequels and they're just so convoluted and they just try to do way too much and it just doesn't work and it just doesn't work with that formula yeah and we'll, we'll talk about sequels too with this because we'll, we'll i'll talk a little bit about the franchise i wonder what you would think of dread I have recommended Dread to you before if you are still looking for an action movie. And it's a cyberpunk mm-hmm. movie as well. It's an action mm-hmm. movie. It's simple. It's cyberpunk. It came out the same year as Raid. And again, it's like one of those um, asteroid scenarios or like when Deep Impact and the other asteroid movie came out the same year. And then there was also another one. I think like two shark movie or two uh, disaster ocean movies came out the same year. But Dread gotcha. is a movie about a man ascending to the top of a tower while fighting through a crime syndicate. And Raid okay. is about a guy who's fighting his way up a sky, uh, an apartment building fighting a crime syndicate. <laughs> so, but but th- it was it was fun. I, I did like Dread. It's not like it's not perfect or anything. 
but it is mm-hmm. a good watch, um, especially if you need a cyberpunk fix because there's not many, uh, and a good action fix as well. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, like I said, this movie is not not really critically acclaimed. The franchise actually is. It is one of the better critically acclaimed action franchises out there, especially when it comes to consistency, since the third one has gotten positive reviews. This one, however, 7.1 IMDb, not bad, not bad. 67% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 71% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So audience, of course, did like this better. I think you usually see that with action films, unless mm-hmm. it's like an artistic action film, and then it kind of switches. Though that's kind of with anything if you put artistic first. Artistic horror, same thing. This is going to be our first movie, I'm pretty sure, because uh, I don't even think The Room got this, a Razzie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie does have a Razzie for the worst writing uh, for a film grossing over $100 million. And I really don't pay attention too much to, to Razzies. Like, they, I don't, I don't know. I, I find it, like, I am interested in bad movies and, and people talking about them. But, I don't know, something about the Razzies, I just, it was cool at first, like, when I was a kid when I found out about it. And then, I don't know. It's like, whatever. Yeah, I agree. And, like, sometimes it's just a little mean-spirited if you nominate <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Last year was the controversial one. They, um, they nominated the the little girl from Firestarter. Mm-hmm. You know, just starting out a career. She's gonna get a Razzie. Like, how is that? We we and especially we talked about it. Children. It depends a lot on the director as well. It does. I mean, it it's hard to get a really good child actor, and a lot of the ones who are really talented come from good direction. So yeah, there was a child actor. I think it may have been Jacob Tremblay, where he he reflects the director that he's with. Yes, definitely. And also last year, they were about to nominate Bruce Willis until we found out why Bruce Willis was in all those horrible films. Yeah. And also, I think they're just stating the obvious. I think that's the other issue. They're stating the obvious and they're not giving, it's not like a show where they're giving commentary on it. Like I list, I like listening to Double Toast to talk about their worst films, especially because they had experience and they're letting out their frustration and anger about it. But Razzie's like, the worst film of the year was this Adam Sandler film. Yeah, I didn't even see it, and I, I knew. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, there's so many YouTube channels and, and TikToks and everything else that are doing film commentary that by the time the Razzies roll around and they're like, oh, here's the worst performances, here's the worst films, like, it feels late. It, like, it feels like they were late to the conversation. It's not really funny <laughs> anymore. Right, right. Yeah, and it's not like the Oscar where at least, like, all those films kind of came out the same year, so they're still, you know, they're still in conversation. Yeah. Anything you found for the acclaim for this fan- film or disclaim? Is disclaim a word? <laughs> disclaim. Yeah, so, I mean, not all the awards it was given were bad. Uh, Tom Cruise got a Kids' Choice Award for Favorite Movie Actor, and he also got a PGA Award for Most Promising Producer in a Theatrical Motion Picture. It also won awards for its action at the MTV Movie Awards and the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. It also won a Satellite Award for Best Editing. Uh, in addition to that, a rendition of the original theme song was done by U2 members Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton and was a big hit on its own. It was actually nominated for a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Mental, Instrumental, sorry, Reset. It was nominated for a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental Performance. A bit of a tongue twister. Instrumental. <laughs> Instrumental. <mental. laughs> now, as far as the box office goes, it actually did uh, pretty well. 
it ended up grossing 457.7 million worldwide which was the third highest grossing film of 1996 granted i don't know what it beat but that's where we're at it also broke the record for a film opening on a wednesday which beat terminator 2 judgment day from 1991 and it also broke the record for the best may opening weekend beating twister although that record was short-lived because it was beat out by jurassic park for lost world the following year oh so that's why okay i was just talking about it with somebody it's like why is that reckoning coming out on a wednesday i guess oh yeah, yeah I this, noticed uh, it it's coming day. out on next wednesday or the wednesday following this uh recording mm-hmm. and i don't know if the other films were like that if it's just been a tradition or you know they're kind of going back to it a little callback to it Maybe. I did notice that because I was working on our, our Instagram posts. I just posted it's our anticipated movies for July. And I was like, this is kind of a random date in here. Yeah. I, and also, there's an early screening, but it's only Tuesday. So I was like, oh. At first, I thought I was like, you know, get to see it four days earlier. Mm-hmm. What is the first Mission Impossible about? It is about Ethan Hunt, who works for this secret team. The IMF, the Impossible Mission Force. And him and his team, they get, there is a mole somewhere. Something happened on one of their missions and everybody gets, I'm not going to say what happens to everybody, but the mission goes completely sideways. And now Ethan Hunt is on the run because he is blamed for what happened to his team members who he loved. And now the people that he worked for are now coming after him, which is a, kind of a spy thing we've seen before so in order to prove his innocence he's going to go after the very thing that the the bad the bad guys were trying to go for caitlin what was your opinion of this movie your first time watching it i gotta say i kind of agree with the critics that were giving it negative reviews i thought the plot was a bit convoluted and the plot isn't the overarching plot and like the twists and turns were pretty basic. I mean, I don't know if it was something at the time that was more groundbreaking, but you know, from what we see today, the twists and turns, you know, you can see them a mile away. But unfortunately, like some other elements of the plot, like I honestly had a hard time following and I got bored because I was having difficulty following it. But I will say there was some really good sequences in the film. Uh, there's some memorable action scenes and, and scenes in there that were really good. And I felt like a film that was constantly trying to ramp up to something that was good, but then didn't ever really hit the mark. Uh, there were parts in there that really reminded me of Ocean's Eleven, which I really like. But it never really got to the, the greatness of Ocean's Eleven, even though Ocean's Eleven, at least the... Uh, the George Clooney one I'm talking about, that one did come later and was probably influenced by this, but I think it did it better. I love this franchise. I do not love all the movies. Mm-hmm. Or, well, actually, I really did like uh, Mission Impossible 3, which I believe was directed by J.J. Uh, Abrams as well. So you may want to check that out. Also, Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman is the main bad guy, and he's always great. Yeah, this film is it's rough. It, it is a rough film. Like this is, I mean, you can, it's, it's cool to see like where a lot of the elements came from and, and kind of went into like the rest of the franchise. And you can really tell that this is their starting point. It's not a great starting point, 
luckily it made its money so that it can continue on making films. I mean, even some they made so much money that the second film was bad and they went on to design uh, four more movies. But yeah, so many things feel rough with this. Like they, it, it felt like a kind of a, like not so much amateur filmmaking, but like they had something and they weren't able to achieve it and we got a lesser pro- product than what they were actually going for. The, um, I, I didn't find it too convoluted. I was able to follow, maybe because I knew how it ended. Like I knew what the big twist was. Though I think it's still rather predictable. I don't know if you saw that coming. Yeah, the twist was definitely predictable. Okay, yeah, I, I thought so. But like the opening mission, to be honest, I kept forgetting like what was going on. Like I'd be like, okay, this is what's happening. And then I would forget. So I like, I was actually pulling up Wikipedia and following along as I watched, which I've done that for other films before. But like, I just couldn't, I don't know. My focus was just not there for this film. Did you listen to the mission prep? I did. And then I had to think, wait a second, what did the mission prep say again? Because I don't understand how this is related to mission prep. (laughs) Were you taking notes during the mission prep? I should have taken better notes. You should have taken... I mean, if you're at a meeting at work, take notes. Just saying. Because, like, I thought they were, like, getting a thing, but then they're following a person, and then... I don't know. It was just very confusing. The way they went about it was very confusing. Like, their plan of action wasn't really, like, drawn out as well as I wanted it to be. And it was just... It was difficult to follow. Well, they were just trying to get evidence of the person doing the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. I, well, on my next heist, I am not inviting you. <laughs> like, Caitlin, where are you at? Uh, Getting dressed? Where are you? <laughs> like, I really love heist movies. Like, they're a genre I just I just really have fun with. And this didn't, it didn't do it for me. But it's not really a heist movie. It has a lot of similarities to heist movies. It has some heist moments. But it still also is, I wouldn't say spy thriller. But I don't know. I don't know how I would fully classify this. Because it's not fully a heist. Yeah, well, it is, well, the later films is more of a spy thriller. This technically is a spy thriller. There's a lot of espionage going on. Okay. Holy crap, does the word spy come from espionage? E-S-P-I. I don't know. Huh. Maybe. <laughs> I actually like the mission prep. I thought that was really cool seeing the mission prep. Uh, I, I had fun with those scenes. It was cool seeing the team interact. Like, it's a little bit cheesy, but I, I like to actually see that you know, they, they have something going on. It's not just a team that's disjointed. And that works really well when you have the, the tragedy strike. I, I think some things work well, such as Tom Cruise, for the most part, he does well. He's not, he's not at where he, where he is now. But mm. I think, you know, you, you do see some promise within him from this film. The action, I mean, it's 90s. It really is. Yeah. And... This is not like the other Mission Impossible films. So I'll let you know that right now. Like, don't get discouraged about watching the the rest of the franchise or other films in the franchise. It, this film is not like it. Yeah, I, I kind of figured that because I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I want to sit through more of these movies. But on the other hand, I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be the same as this. For instance, Tom Cruise only fires four shots in this movie. Oh, wait, no, I don't think he mm-hmm. fires any shots. I think there's only four shots fired in this movie. Uh, wow. like, that's that's a difference. I'm not saying like the next movies are big firefights, but there's some more bullets. Tom Cruise isn't getting like really into fights with anybody here. But yeah, the story is not good in this. It's 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 so predictable. Uh I don't fully understand 
there's one character that really bothers me in this, and that's Claire, who yeah. I'm like, are you supposed to be a spy? Like, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be judgmental here. All right. But she's really soft spoken. She has like, mm-hmm. she's like being coy the entire time. And honestly, she reminded me of Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> I don't. She- I I didn't think that, but I can I can see it now. My issue of her is that I felt like her accent changed every scene. Oh, I could barely understand the accent because she's like she's talking again. She's talking real low, like trying mm-hmm. to kind of I don't even know. I it's it was weird again. Like the only thing I could think of at first, I was thinking like this is supposed to be another Dane in a, in one of these action films, but no, she's an actual spy, and yeah. we do get to see her do some spy stuff, and she has confidence, and then. And then later I was thinking, like, yes, like, look up some Jessica Rabbit clips. Even the way they have her hair is like Jessica Rabbit's. <laughs> and also, you may have noticed that, like, she kind of has a thing, like, going on with Ethan Hunt. Like, there's a weird romantic uh, tension yeah, going between them. Yeah, that was them. weird. That was weird to me. The reason is because the screenwriters of this film, they originally, like, were going to have something happen between them. But they I shot it down. They deleted it but they didn't fully extract it from the film. So yeah, that was that was just weird. I like the main heist that they do in this film, like, you know, when we get the when he's hovering above the floor, you know, that yeah, that big that shot. Yeah. Probably my favorite part of the movie. I like Ving Rhames. He's great and he's in the the franchise. I forget if he's in 2 and 3, but he's in the rest of the franchise from there. I mean, I had an okay time with this. I'm more I wouldn't agree so much with the negative reviews. Like, like I don't agree with the Razzies on this, but or at least I'll have to see. You know, maybe it's just a default. But I do agree that there, th- this film is messy. Another thing is the way yeah. it's shot. The camera work was getting on my nerves. They were doing some experimental angles, like just shooting from. Like they were shooting like from underneath people's chins, and I, I don't know what they were trying to do, but it, the the cinematography is all over the place. See, I kind of liked it, but it needed to be a little bit more toned down, I think. But I, I did appreciate the experimentalness. And, and as far as, like, how it created tension, I liked. There were some that were good. Because, I mean, there, there were so many experimental shots. Like, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. one of them had to work. Just probability. But there, there, was, there was too many. You know I love a good Dutch angle. I was, I was about to say, I was like, I know it starts with something with a D. I was about to say Dolly <laughs> Shop. I was like, that's not it. But I don't know. I'd rather take just a standard than... 90% of it just being weird. Uh, what did you think about the like the action scenes in this film? You say you like did like it was not so much an action film but you did like the scene where he's hovering across the ground and that whole I think that was a good suspenseful scene of that guy coming back. Yeah, the idea that the room would set off an alarm if it went 1 degree higher was so stupid because nothing is can be that temperature controlled to that degree. <laughs> they can in a building like that. It's the government. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah, but also just the computer, like a computer can start running hotter than it usually does. Yeah, like so it's like that's so stupid. <laughs> but like that whole like scene the shot was was pretty cool. Um there's some wild scenes, some wild uh deaths, I would say, in different vents and elevators and other enclosed spaces that I thought were were pretty well done. It was entertaining enough. Um the action scenes themselves, I mean, like there wasn't really too, it wasn't super action-packed for what I'm used to, or what I expected. Yeah, for a modern movie, it's, no, it's, it's nowhere close. 
And for what they end up doing later, yeah, nowhere close. I mean, Tom Cruise was doing his own stunts in here, and I did like the bullet train uh, scene in the fact that it was realistic to a certain degree. I mean, it got kind of crazy when the helicopter was following it under the tunnel. Yeah, it got kind of crazy. <laughs> also, I don't understand. I didn't know that the propellers on a helicopter blade sound like a buzzsaw. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. But I one thing I liked is that they're not standing on the train and fighting. Like, it's like, we, we can't stand here. He's going too fast. We're just getting blown off. And like the way that he he moves uh, on the train, I think that was done. That was done well. And there was some actual thought about it. And I think especially during the time, 1996, I think that's something. So, I mean, they definitely overlook it now. So for them to kind of have that attention to detail, uh, I respect during that time. Mm-hmm. Not trying to make it too, too wild and crazy. And then they have that shot with Tom Cruise running from the the aquarium. It's not a it's not a sexy shot. Like it's not perfect choreography. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I can knowing that he's actually doing it, I don't need the choreography to be perfect because I'm like, yeah, obviously that's the way you would run trying to run from from water because they that's what yeah. they literally did. So that that is what it looks like. I can't say it's not realistic. Yeah. One thing I really just couldn't stand in this film was the tech and the gear that they had it was just silly it was just silly you had exploding chewing gum <laughs> like it was just very like like totally spies type spy gear <laughs> but in a movie that i i thought i was supposed to take seriously and then tom cruise is always wearing some kind of like mask to make him look like an old man or whoever it reminded me of the uh you haven't seen it yet but the point break robbing masks where they wear president's masks while they rob a bank so i was just like this is just so silly (laughs) so this is the only film where they do the the face switching with practical effects it's all cgi from here but they do it every film Uh... it works it works better though and it's actually it's kind of it trust me it works better and they do some cool things with it is it like uh like winter soldier though i'm trying to remember winter soldier I don't. And I know. I know that the Russo brothers have cited the Mission Impossible series as an influence on the Winter Soldier. So I wondered if it was like that technology because I didn't. I, I liked Winter Soldier, but I did not like that aspect of it. It's silly. I feel like face swapping is just silly. Oh uh, well, this is it's a staple for this franchise. But Ugh. I think in this film they don't really use it to too much of a. I don't know. They they don't they use it kind of in a real typical sense. But I think the other films they they play with it better i'm not saying like every time like it's a real intricate plan you know sometimes it is just like yeah. guess who i was I, yeah, I don't it just mind reads it a little bit corny to me <laughs> well it did come from a 1960 tv show mm-hmm. oh sadly a mission impossible 2 it was heavily used i just saw that on a reddit post yes yeah, so this person also said one thing that upset me however was the face swap mm-hmm. and then he asked later he's like do three through six use it yeah. <laughs> Oh, they, oh, apparently there was a running gag in 4 about a character wanting to use a mask and not getting to. I think I remember that. But I'm pretty sure it was in the TV show because it's like a staple for this. That would make sense. Because I don't know why they else they would... Well, I guess... I don't know. I guess it worked for them. But I'm trying to think of how they would have done it in 1966. I mean, same way I guess uh, Tom Cruise did it in this first one. But yeah, it did not look great. Practical mask. Also, it was in black and white, the TV show. So, you know, you can get away yeah. with some things there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too. I actually want to watch the TV show. I do want to watch some episodes, or at least I'll watch one episode. If it's all right, then I'll watch a little bit more. Yeah. The technology technology I actually liked. Yeah, it was again. This movie is is rough. It's it's a draft for what they're gonna do later. So when I'm watching this, I am thinking about the '90s. Like this is what '90s. This is what you thought Spy Gear was like. Like oh, he just has some regular old chewing gum, but he's like yeah. red light, green light. Ha. Like I said, it's a very totally spies of them. And I mean, on the set too, like Tom Cruise and the director, you know, they were having fun creating this stuff. They were like, this is the kind of things I thought about as a kid. It reminds me also like uh, Inspector Gadget. Reminds me like a yeah. lot of that improvisation that we saw in 90s cartoons. Yeah. But I agree. It it was good. For, I mean, I think it was good for this film. But later on, glad they uh, modernized it a bit. Though I would like to see the chewing gum come back. Because <laughs> honestly, that wasn't even like. I don't even know the point of that. I feel like that was in something else, but I don't know what specifically it was in. Mm. The exploding chewing gum. Yeah, I feel like it was in something else too. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, nope. Let's talk about the influence. Caitlin, what influence were you able to find? So it's main theme, musical theme, and it's action sequences, of course, have been referenced in several comedy shows. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, Credible Hawk, Boy Meets World... Of course, Family Guy and some movies such as Cats and Dogs, The Muppets Most Wanted, Spice World, Paddington. Uh, but it also was an influence for other action movies as well. I already mentioned before that the Russo brothers cited it as an influence for Captain America of a Winter Soldier. But it also had an influence on other action movies such as Ocean Eleven that I mentioned and also The Born Identity. And it uh, helped set a blueprint for a modern action hero with, you know, an intelligent hero who uses intel and quippy dialogue to get about. I mean, this also had the influence of just spanning a multi-billion dollar franchise. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, that that little influence it may have had. <laughs> and again, to the point that people wanted more of this film, that the second one is one of the worst, known as one of the worst films out there, one of the worst action films. And like, you know, what, we'll give you another chance. Yeah, that's what I'm like surprised about, because if the second one wasn't good, if this one was, you know, mixed reviews, how did it end up getting to be that big of a franchise? It made money. And Tom Cruise was also a producer. Uh, yes, he was. So, you know, he was putting his own money up front as well. And that is one thing, too, is that Tom Cruise, he takes money from box office. So to make this film, they don't have to pay the A-list actor. That's mm -hmm. our, that's one expense they can be like, all right, we don't got to do that. Gotcha. And then, and actually, I think Mission Impossible 3, like, no, never mind. I was about to say it's a lower budget, but no. That movie starts out burning dollars. Mm-hmm. As that was early J.J. Abrams. He was going to take everything. Uh, this also, the more so the the video game of Mission Impossible and the Nintendo 64, if you look at it, there's another game it may remind you of. And actually, the mission prep in this movie and how they went about uh, one of the bigger missions here reminded me of a game called Hitman. Uh, did you ever play Hitman, Caitlin? Uh, I've seen videos of Hitman. I've never yes. played it myself. I tried it out recently, actually. Uh, I think last month or the month before. Uh, there was, there were no games. I was in a drought period. So it's like, all right, let me download this. It was free. I couldn't get into it. I, I didn't like it, but I can tell it's a good game. Like there's a lot of attention to detail. It is really cool. And I can see why people love it. Uh, it's a rather slower game, but it is like, it, you know, you do get this mission prep, you go in and you just get kind of like this, you know, a little limited sandbox and you have your, your targets, you know, you may have. You always have somebody to assassinate, but you may have something on the side. Like you have to 
one mission I had to stop this deadly virus that they were creating. I had to find a way to infiltrate it and to get it to stop working. And there's all these mm-hmm. different ways to go about it. Um, there's even the biggest thing that reminded me of was they poison somebody, but they only poison to where like he's throwing up in the bathroom. You know, they didn't just kill the guy because then all the people would be like, why is there a dead guy in the hallway? You know, it's not that type of place, but thing you can poison somebody, you know, to where you do a lethal poison or you just make them like you make them sick and then you can follow them to the bathroom and then you can choke them out steal their cl- <laughs> and, and you steal their clothes and then you, you know, tuck them into a wardrobe or you just kill them on the spot. I don't know. However you like to go about it. So those are the, the influences I found. And there's actually even more significance. Uh, this was a successful adaption of a TV show. Successful in terms of money and then going on to create a franchise. We don't always see that. We see people try. Usually we'll see a TV show coming from a movie and not so much a movie coming from a TV show. So that, that I feel like that's harder to do because you're shortening it. Mm-hmm. But this was more of a, this wasn't serialized. It was like, anthology you know they had their mission this day they had their mission that day they would bring in like a you know a popular celebrity at the time to to fill in you know we honestly we don't see that often anymore that used to be something like i remember i was watching mash and leslie nielsen popped up one episode Mm -hmm. more so for this franchise they take their time with these movies it's not like fast and furious and transformers during the time where it was just Every two years. And, and the MCU, it wasn't just like every two years we got another film coming out. Like there's four to six years between each of these films. So this is an action film. Like they, they take their time with this movie. Like, yeah, yeah. the reason that it's been, it, they allowed it to continue is because of the money. But you can obviously tell like they're not just worried about the money. So like this series and the James Bond are, are two action films that really take their time with their movies. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how long it's been running. The only other one I can think of that might come close is Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious, I know, was 2000s, 2002 or 1, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but now, like, Fast and Furious was kind of, you know, they were doing, a, they were really spread out. But in recent years, now they've just been, it's been like two years, I think, between each of them. Yeah. Because they're up it's to really 10. Fast. And this film is only now releasing their sixth one. And I think the 11th yeah. Fast and Furious is next year. Probably. I thought we were already past 11. <laughs> no, this or is Fast 11. X. Oh, gosh. Fast 10. Well, there's one after Fast X. Nope. Unless no, X means okay. something different for them. They, they break all the other rules. Why not break the rules of Roman numerals? <laughs> this began the, like the Tom Cruise doing stunts. Mm-hmm. This was Tom Cruise. like He did his own stunts and his own magic. Sometimes they kind of blended together. And... Which I wonder if he knew how to do magic from... He plays a magician in Magnolia, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Because he does some sleight of hand in here that's pretty cool. But yeah, Tom Cruise is known for doing his own stunts, which is a big deal. Because studios don't want their actors to do stunts, actually. it's Sometimes they do want to do their own stunts, but studios say, no, we're not doing it. Because insurance purposes, or if they get yeah, hurt... Yeah, liability. Yeah, if they get hurt, also it stops production. Like, you no longer have your big stars, so you have to stop production. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones out there was Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien, uh, he he got messed up bad on his legs, and I forget if they ever even finished Maze Runner. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, but he was out for a while. But man, he he just goes further and further each movie almost. Like mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the last movie he's gonna be jumping from the moon, which someone has already <laughs> like someone has already done a free fall from space 
So it's not out of possibility. So I think Tom Cruise is just trying to figure out what, like, how to beat that. And then, because I'm pretty sure for his last movie, because I'm pretty sure the studios are like, please, Tom, don't, don't kill yourself. But the last movie, they're going to be like, all right, we got everything else shot. Even if you die on this stunt, okay, <laughs> we can still put out the movie and make money. Do whatever you want. <laughs> like, I'm going to the moon. All right. And he, yeah, it, it is crazy. And it's something to, to really respect. Like, he hangs on the side of a plane while it's flying through the sky. There's a jump that he does later in that movie. Uh, there's a scene where he has to hold his breath for over five minutes. And what was the other one? Also, he even broke his leg in Fallout. There, oh. They kept the scene in because it still looks like, you know, he properly landed. But no, he, man, he, it actually looks Ooh. like it kind of hurts on film. But his leg hit that side of the building. He did the old rooftop jumping. Oh. Yep, messed up his, yeah, broke his leg. That sounds painful. I heard that never stopped him from running, though. Which goes into my next bit of significance, which I, this may or may not be the first Tom film. Tom Cruise running. But this, this is one of my favorite things in film. All right, I'm being honest. I Tom Cruise's running <laughs> is just one of my favorite ongoing things in film. It's, it's amazing. Because one thing I noticed, too, I was watching a compilation. They did a compilation for uh, as a promotion for the movie coming up. Just him running throughout the Mission Impossible films. Like, really just running from one film to the other one. And... He's like really sprinting. It bothers me in movies when we some, see somebody running or being chased or they're trying to get somewhere and it looks more like they're jogging. Yeah. I was watching um some of those clips and you can actually tell like he slows down for a little bit. Like he's starting to run out of breath. And then yeah. of course he picks it up again. It's like, what am I doing? My last name is Cruz for a reason. You should uh, send that and we'll post it on the social media. Oh, most definitely. I'll send that one. And actually I didn't watch too much of it because some of the films I didn't, because uh, I want to go back and watch Ghost Protocol, so I didn't know if, like, spoil mm-hmm. anything. But there's another one where it's just Tom Cruise running throughout all his films. Like, nice. he's just, there's multiple films, and he's just always running. If you remember the Mummy trailer that he was in, that like, he's getting, you know, chased by, like, this huge cloud, and everybody's getting sucked up by it. But nope, not old Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this man could be in a courtroom drama. Whenever we do uh, uh, A Few Good Men, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just doing laughs in the court. This was the first movie to be released in over 3,000 theaters in the U.S. and Canada. And this uh, this has an iconic score. We talked about it. The score is great. Yeah. People playing it in elementary schools and band. <laughs> Even in the lowly public schools. Now, the TV show kind of had a purist fandom. We think purist fandom, you know, that's all, that's all about today. But no, the cast really of the TV show did not want to see this film. They did not like the idea. Uh, there's some changes that they make in here that they were not a fan of. And also, they didn't like that it was centered on one person, which I agree with. Uh, later on, these movies become more about a team. I would say especially when it comes to Ghost Protocol, it becomes more about the the team. And the team has grown since. Oh, and speaking about the team growing, it's a shame to see Claire in this movie. And she's just, like I said, she's just a Dane. But when Rogue Nation comes out, Rebecca Ferguson... And then Fallout, you have Vanessa Kirby, and now you have the woman who plays Mantis being set up as like one of kind of like the, you know, one of the significant henchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's going to be in Dead Reckoning Part One, and I'm excited to see her. She like just already the fight scenes that I've seen with her in the trailer look awesome. But they do get better female character characters, and not just for action and like getting stuff done, but just 
they're better written characters. They have more to offer the movie. They're not there just for for Tom Cruise to to fall in love with. Like they they are a part of the team, and, and you know one of the more important parts of the team. But yeah, the 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 fandom they did not like, especially the cast. So they most of them didn't watch this film. Some walked out of the film. There was supposed to be a cameo from one person, and the director told him like, "Hey, this is nothing like the movie. I mean, the TV show." And he said, "I respect that." And then he left. Wow. The suspending from cable, yeah, that's we've seen that so many times. Uh, did you mention that in your influence? Yeah, I know. Uh, Spice World was one in particular. Paddington. Does Paddington do it? Yeah, Paddington does it. I know they play like the theme. I don't remember the theme, but I remember. So the the bad guys in that one. Uh, what's her name? Nicole Kidman. She's they're trying to break into his house and frame him for something. And they do so by like lowering through the the sky window. Sky hole? Yeah. Sunroof? It's funny because no. so I was watching uh Hey Arnold. We've been watching Hey Arnold, just going back and watching the first season, and there's a scene where Helga is like gonna go into Arnold's room to get like a diary that she accidentally lost of hers. I remember and I was that episode. so expecting her to do it. I was so expecting her to do the Mission Impossible, but she did not, and I was very disappointed. Oh yeah, there's been other, there's been a lot of cartoons that have done that. Also, I do remember that episode because she becomes like trapped in that bedroom, right? Yeah, she's like in the closet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is Tom Cruise becoming a producer. This is Tom Cruise putting himself on the line, and not just an executive producer, but an actual producer for this film. He, they were gonna offer him fifty million dollars to star in this film. He said no. Uh, he wanted, I forget how much how many points from the box office, but he took that instead and made $70 million, which when you account for inflation, the difference between 50 and 70 was much higher back then. So he made his, he made his money back and he continues to do that. Like Top Gun Maverick said, I'll take the points and, and got him, got a lot. Yeah. So this was actually the, the first film of his production company that he opened with his agent, Paula Wagner. So they opened up Cruz Wagner Productions, and they also would later do Vanilla Sky, Minority Report, World, War of the Worlds, <laughs> The Last Samurai. And of course, they did the other Mission Impossible films until 2008 when Paula Wagner uh, left the company. Hmm. But that's the way to, it seems like that's the way to do it. You act first, you become a producer. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you're, I don't, I don't know how other producers, like how they get into producing, like the big, like big studio heads. I don't know if that's like, mm-hmm. you just got to kind of be part of that. You know, you just got to be part of that circle. You get put into it one day because some of those producers don't even seem like they ever made film. Yeah. Like they, they, they don't seem like they got in that position because of passion. Like someone just told them like, Hey, here's your task. You want to be a producer now? Whatever. Yeah. The business of film is a whole other different side of things too. Yeah. And for good reason. I mean, I'm not saying it's pointless. I'm not saying they're all heartless either. Uh, There's just some producers that I've I've seen and heard from. Like, why are you, how did you get in this position? Uh, This was also the last movie on Betamax. Remember Betamax, Caitlin? Putting your Betamax in your old Betamax player? Uh, No. (laughs) Neither do I. But it was around while we were alive. Okay, if you say so. I mean, I would think that you had a Betamax and how you come from money. I don't even know what a Betamax really is. <laughs> so it was a higher quality VHS, VHS tape. The best comparison to be made is, wait, actually, I, don't even, I think when we had this conversation, you didn't remember. 
but HD DVDs compared to Blu-ray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically what it was. So Betamax were just, they were higher quality. Gotcha. Uh, I think they may have cost a little bit more. One of the main problems with it, though, is actually back then with the VHS tapes, you were able to tape whatever is on TV. Mm-hmm. So there's like, a, you know, it's kind of like, I was about to say TVO, TiVo back in the day, but even TiVo is back <laughs> in the day. People aren't going to know what I'm talking about when I say TiVo. Yeah, uh, right. But, yeah, but on cable television, they're like, all right, I'm just leaving. I don't know what this guy's saying. But you used to be able to, like, record a show. I remember, like, uh, I think Rugrats All Grown Up. It was a Rugrats yes. special. My grandmother, me mom, she recorded uh, the episode for me because I, I was going to miss it. You know, of course, I was upset. Yeah, I definitely recorded it as well with all my oh, really? VHS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, but Betamax, you can only record for an hour. So you can't even record a full feature length, yeah. one hour and 20 minutes. VHS, you can record two hours. So that's one of the, so VHS just ended up beating out Betamax and Betamax lost. But Betamax actually came out first. Just like HD DVD came out before Blu-ray and still lost. So it's not always being the first in. Caitlin, what do you have for significance? Well, you mentioned that Tom Cruise did most of his own stunts. In general, this film really embraced practical effects and, and stunts at a time when CGI was getting a lot bigger. Of course, we had Jurassic Park, which was groundbreaking CGI, and some other films as well. But uh, Tom Cruise and um, Brian De Palma, yes, they really wanted to stick to practical for the most part. Now, there is some CGI used uh, during a sequence at the end of the film, and it's a, a notable moment because this was done by VFX supervisor John Knoll, and it was described as a landmark in visual effects because you really use a virtual set in this situation. They used blue screen elements, they used actors in a blue screen and did this VFX behind them. And John Knoll, this is something that he's really good at and he really learned to perfect because he went on to also later on do the Mandalorian, which we know does um oh. the 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 volume, I think it's called. So, you know, he really got his start here, I think, in doing these virtual sets, and he's done really well. I think he also did Avatar as well. Oh, that's really impressive. Yeah. Who would you recommend this film to? I think this one is pretty easy. Uh, you know, if you want to go ahead and watch all the in- Mission Impossible, I almost said the Impossible films. If you want to watch the Mission Impossible films, uh, I guess go ahead and start with this. If you want to be a completist, um... I, I I guess if you enjoy Spy Pillars, but if you're just looking for like a straight action movie, I don't think this is the one I would recommend. And I think that there's other films that do what this does better. So it's not going to be at the top of my list to give to people. But, you know, I, I guess if that's what you really enjoy, if you really enjoy those genres, then go for it. Yeah, I agree with everything you say. It's not the best. If you want to be a complete, go ahead, watch it. Uh, if you're If you're trying to get into the Mission Impossible franchise, I wouldn't even say start with this one. I would say start with either Ghost Protocol or the third one, and then maybe and go yet, back. Here like I you, am starting with this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I told you you could. I I told you before you could watch Ghost Protocol before Mission Impossible One. Ah, oh, I know it's kind of hard for me though. Also, if you want to see like an American version of James Bond, this is you know this is the start of it. Brian, I thought that was Indiana Jones. God dang it! I was thinking the same thing, but no, Indiana Jones. <laughs> that's what they went for. And 
it was still, I don't know. It was still missing, like, it needed to be more American, I think, or less American. I don't know. This works better as the American James Bond. It does. It definitely does. I think because it has more of the spy stuff in it, but it, it faster pace. Yeah, just kind of going back to Indian Jones for one second. For being the American James Bond, all of his friends are British. <laughs> like, and he never spends any time in America. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And also, his main enemy are the Nazis, and the Nazis really weren't our main enemies during the World War II. Yep. Yeah, we fought some Nazis, but it was actually really it was the the Japanese we were up against, and they were the one that bombed Pearl Harbor. Yeah, the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would recommend this to general audience, but not even all general audience. Again, it's, <laughs> if you're interested in the franchise, that's it. Now, on to our next mission. This mission is going to involve, or our next step in the mission, which is going to involve spoilers. Now, if you haven't seen this film, go ahead, stop here, watch the film, come back. If you don't care about spoilers or if you've already seen this movie, continue on forth with the mission. Where do you want to start off, Caitlin, with the uh, spoilers? I feel like it's hard to spoil because it's so freaking predictable. <laughs> it is so predictable. There's only one twist in here, and I don't even think it's that predictable. Before we talk about the ending, we could talk about the suspending from the cable. And Mr. Yeah. has to sneeze has to kill a rat, and then drops his knife. <laughs> like, this was the top guy. This was the one. Yep. Granted, it's the one that Claire picked. So she can't, she can't even do that right. God dang, Claire. <laughs> between, between Claire and Kate Capshaw, it, it's just been rough, my perception of women recently. <laughs> the only thing that's like been keeping it like not too bad is, oh, and the room. Though the room made both genders look oh, bad. Oh, yeah. That's true. Extraction, I think, is the only one that's like really like, oh man, you know. Oh, extraction and the blackening. Like those had good mm-hmm. female characters. I'm like, remember, Ryan, this is what they can be. <laughs> <laughs> those were just oppressed women. That's different. <laughs> that was the product of oppression. Yeah, he I, I was like, dude, really? Like I know you gotta put in some things that make some suspense, but all three of them came from him. Though again, yeah. it was suspenseful. It was nice. Yeah, it was suspenseful. The rat, especially, I was like, "Oh, that's gross." <laughs> now you just gotta, you just gotta bite down and just, just let it go. By the way, for a government building, those are some huge vents. Those need a lot of <laughs> air. I guess that's how they do the air control. They yeah. have huge vents. Yeah, we were talking about that when we were watching it. Uh, how, like those vents, like that's just all movie, just all movie yeah. logic. <laughs> vents are never that big. <laughs> no, and those were wide. Like, Die Hard, yeah. at least, like, it looks like he's squeezing on through. But, you know, his his shoulders are touching the side. But this one, they're like, they can sit there, roll around, you know, find a nice sleeping position. Mm-hmm. You know, stretch a little bit. By the way, I've been in one of those government buildings like that. Like, uh, one that you have to have top secret clearance to be in and roam around. And, one, I wasn't supposed to be there. I was in the wrong building. Oh, Someone held the door for me to get into this building. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I thought it was the right building. Person came out. He held the door open for me. I guess that's just the oh. kind of confidence, you know. I, w- I was showing off. I mean, I, w- I was working. <laughs> I was uh, it was for an investigation, so I did look nice and everything. I guess like, and this guy's got yeah. something important to do. Let me get this door for you, sir. And oh my gosh, the uh, FBI is listening to this podcast, yeah. getting ready to. <laughs> no, get because you. once you get in there, that's not it. I couldn't find one. I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't find anywhere else to go. Every single door had a key card to it 
Mm. Every door has security. I don't even think I saw the bathroom. I think the bathroom may have had security. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. I didn't know that like every single door from that point is also locked down. So even if you get into the front lobby, uh, yeah, you still got way more to go through. And I didn't see any big vents. Though I did talk to somebody. I was like, hey, I'm looking for this. And they're like, the first question they asked me was, how did you get in here? <laughs> like, uh, they let me in. <laughs> like someone held the door open. I just looked down like, God dang it. All right. Well, this isn't what you're looking for. And uh, you're probably not supposed to be here. It's like, I'm going to go. <laughs> Jeez. Whoops. Yeah. By the way, unrelated, if anybody wants to launch codes. <laughs> no. Now the now the ending. Before we get to the ending, I do have one other thing to talk about. All right. Emilio Estevez. <laughs> oh, yes. Emilio Estevez. I wanted to see more of him. I wish he survived so he could be in the rest of the films. I know. Same. Like, I wondered why he was uncredited, but then I guess, like, did they do, like, a scream, basically, where they kind of was like, oh, here's the big movie star. We're going to market him, and then they're going to kill him off. Well, then he will still be credited. He, he's uncredited. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I don't I tried know why looking, he's uncredited. When I tried Googling it to figure out why, that's all that they said. He's like, oh, he's a big star, so he wanted to, like, make a like a surprise. Yeah, it could have know. been. But wait, hold up. Scream came out later. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't think I that guess, they yeah, were they like, did it literally pulling us. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that was it, or maybe he wasn't supposed to do this. So I did learn that another way you can go uncredited is if you're not supposed to have done the film. So um, Rob, that happened to Rob Lowe. He did Tommy Boy as a favor to, I forget which of the actors, but he did it as a favor. And he left another film that he was under contract for. So he defaulted his contract and they said, all right, if you go on and do another film, you're not allowed to be credited for it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he's not he's not credited for that film at all. So maybe it was a contract thing or yeah, maybe they were doing a, yeah, because he was still big at that time. In the nineties, yeah, I was disappointed because I always want to, I always want to see more of him. Yeah, and then everybody else gets killed off, and it's like, eh, whatever. It's like, God dang, yeah, Claire's But survived. his death was brutal. Oh, his man back then when they were still kind of figuring out PG thirteen, they let some things, they yeah. let some things go. I was, I was shocked. I was surprised it got that graphic. Yeah, because you see that blade go in his head. Mm-hmm. Everybody's been talking about Sam, Sam Raimi this year with Doctor Strange and. They do some things in that movie I heard is kind of graphic, but it's doing this in PG-13 films is nothing new. No. Now, Puss in Boots, what they did in a PG animated film, that's different. <laughs> that was surprisingly Terrifying. brutal. <laughs> Terrifying. Like, who let this go? <laughs> you want to talk about the ending? Yeah, we can talk about the ending now. Yeah, this was, I don't, I don't understand why he shot Claire instead of Ethan Hunt. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I never really understood where Claire's allegiance lied, to be honest. I was a little confused. Like, I think that she was she was swindled, just like, but then, I I don't know. She was just so, so soft-spoken. But I'm like, what what are you doing? <laughs> you didn't even have to put words after that sigh you just did. That sigh said everything about what you thought of her character. <laughs> and, what she, and what she basically is, is just a heavy, huh, okay. Yeah. Guess we got that. Yeah, um, so her allegiance lied with Jim, but she like they seem to have still had some care with with the team, with Ethan. Like, well, we can get the money. We don't have to kill him. There's no reason to kill him. And he's like, nah. But instead of killing him, he's like, you know what? I- I'm tired of you. I'm-, I'm tired of you. The audience is tired of you. Bam. <laughs> yeah. And they never come back to it. And like, 
she's a lot younger than him. <laughs> like he was doing pretty well. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, also yeah, that was the only thing that was weird about him and about uh Ethan having a relationship with her like in the script originally. Like this is your supervisor's wife. Like you guys all get along like we're supposed to be rooting for this guy. Yeah. So I'm glad they got rid of it, but again, it was one of those times that it they didn't it didn't seem like they fully extracted it from the film. Yeah, they should have been better editing, I think, with her scenes. And there were too many screenwriters on this as well. Screenwriters who didn't really agree with the direction either. Yeah. Like the direction the plot was growing. And David Coet was in this. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was part of that team. We were just talking about him with Indiana Jones, a franchise that we'll yeah. apparently never stop talking about. Anything else you want to talk about in spoilers? There's nothing really. No, I think that's about it for me. Does this hold up? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. The... <sighs> Like, it's just a really dated film, and, like, not just the technology, but just just everything. Like, the plot, like I said, is basic. The action scenes are, eh, all right. So it's just, no, it doesn't. Yeah, the ma- the mask being practical effects, hey, great job using practical effects. I appreciate the effort. But then seeing what they could do with the CGI, no, it's, it's better. I would also say in this movie, it's, yeah, they use it so simple, and, like, they use it in a way they don't even have to use it. Like, it doesn't really progress the story that further. I'm like, I don't know why he was an old guy in that when they went to the, the <laughs> I ball. I don't know. He's, I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, no, it does. It is dated. There's not much action to this action film. It's not like three years later we get The Matrix. It, you know, that, that choreography really holds up. It, it changed something new. And this, no. I mean, this, again, they're doing their own stunts. That's cool. For like a timepiece. It's cool to go back and revisit, but no, it's not going to hold up. The characters as well, you know, Claire just being a, you know, just a dame here, you know, not actually having a, a role outside of just being the, the female swindler. Like, you yeah. know what she reminded me of also? There was another thing, not just Jessica Rabbit. The first thing was in the noir films, the, the old noir films like Maltese Falcon, when you yeah. have that, um, the widower, the widower girl that obviously killed her husband. There's a word for it. Oh, there. What is it? Wait, do you not know? Oh, you you made it sound. I like... know, no, I know, but it's like I it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can. It's not on the tip of my tongue, but I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like she's actually the one that has like all like she's femme fatale, the femme fatale, the femme fatale. Yeah, which actually now like I kind of associate that word with something different, like the female spy. Like I feel mm-hmm. like that word's gone through like some progression, but yeah, like yeah, femme fatale. Actually, I think I thought of that word during the while watching this, and I was like. No, that's not right, because that's, you know, that's a female actually doing uh, some work. Yeah, so she's not cool enough to be a femme fatale. <laughs> no, that's too cool of a word. I was like, why am I thinking that? Probably that's dumb. Oh, wait, this is why. Because it actually was. <laughs> what would you rate this film? Oh, I think we're going to go with a solid D. I think I'll go with C-. minus. Like, it's a low one. It's bordering. Mm-hmm. But I, like the only thing that like really brings it up is just that one capable suspension scene. But then other than that, like that was really the only thing that really, really, truly worked for me in the film. I think like quality wise is really brought down. But I would say enjoyment wise, it's I wasn't like wishing for it to end. Ooh, I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wish like 90 percent of movies end, even ones that you like sometimes. Yeah, I, I didn't find it too much of a. A chore. To, I I didn't find it a chore at all to watch this movie. This movie is my. This was my second time watching the movie, and no, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't fidgeting or anything like that. I watched the movie. Done. 
You know, I did, I did like parts of it, but yeah, there's there's a lot wrong with this. So I'll put, give it a C minus. But the other films, whoo. Like I said, I love this. This this is the franchise when people try to accuse me. They're like, oh man, not every movie's got to be a great spectacle drama. You don't need like all this character development. I'm not like, I'm not like that. All right. <laughs> I, I, I found out recently how to describe it because I don't like when people say that I only like a certain type of movie. But I, yeah. I don't, wouldn't mind if someone said like I'm picky with my movies. I get that. Like when you say like he only likes a certain type of film, it makes it me sound pretentious. Like if you yeah. say someone only likes a certain, oh, they only eat a certain quality of food compared to like he's picky with his food. You know, or he's, yeah, he's picky with his food. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm picky with my food too. But when you say like, oh, they only like a certain quality, it sounds pretentious. But yeah. I, I am picky with my films. Like I do hold them to a certain standard, but they can just be simple, fun action films. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've also covered such a wide variety of films. It's definitely true that, that we like a variety of films. It's not just the traditional cinephile films. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of the traditional cinephile films we don't like. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who called me. I, I, well, actually, I've had multiple people call me out on certain films. I forget what was the last one. It was some, It was a, I think it was a blockbuster. I was just like, eh, no, I didn't really care for it. Now, what is our next mission? Will it be as impossible as this one? Uh, it might be, actually. <laughs> We're going to be watching Dr. Strangelove. Oh, some good old Stanley Kubrick. My man. And how he conquered the bomb? Or how he fell in love with the bomb? How I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Ah, I was close. I knew he did something with that bomb. Yeah. And this is a uh, dark comedy film that is a satire of the Cold War. So when he fell in love with the bomb, is it like a Shape of Water type deal? <laughs> it's gonna be a musical dance sequence. Yeah, there's just gonna be a random musical number. Actually, there might be. I haven't seen this movie in a long, long time. Uh, I did watch it in college, but I don't have much memory of it, so it should be interesting. Yeah, and we'll be able to talk about Kubrick, which is uh, yes a conversation we've had before, but not recorded or not recorded to both parties' knowledge. Yeah. Oh. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> so if you want to go ahead, keep... Hey, Caitlin! Caitlin! They're trying to get away. Go grab them. Grab who? <laughs> the, the audience who's about to press the button because they know it's almost the end of the show. Don't you leave. Oh, oh, okay. We got a mission for you, all right? We want you to go ahead and let us know what you think of the show or just go ahead and show us your support. Show us that you you know, you know like what, uh, what we're doing. Maybe you have uh, some critiques or anything like that. We just want to hear from you guys and... There is such a place, and it's not as secretive as you may think. Caitlin, where is this special place? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OpSilverScreen. On Facebook, we're at Operation Silver Screen, but Twitter and Instagram, that's OpSilverScreen. We'll be posting some stuff that we talked about here during this episode. You can also find some other goodies, like our anticipated films of the month, as well as just some other fun tidbits and things that we're enjoying throughout the week. Uh, you can also find us on our personal letterboxes if you want to see what other films we're watching and maybe see some reviews of stuff that we're not talking about on here. You can find Brian at Swank Seal, that's capital S, capital S. And for me, you can find me at Coffee Spoon Kate, that's Coffee Spoon C-A-I-T. All right, till then, we'll be in HQ. I'm Brian. And I'm Caitlin. See you.